Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. What an amazing section of scripture. I think we forget sometimes that when we pray, we're talking to God. I'm not just talking to each other. We know how communication is amongst each other. I talk to my wife, and there's times that she misunderstands me, and I misunderstand her because we're human and we're fallible. God never misunder, excuse me, God never doesn't understand what I say to him. He knows the heart behind what I say to him. He knows my mind. He can read my thoughts. And yet, in a God who knows my mind and reads my thoughts still says, God, John, I want you to come and bring those things to me. And you think of the elements of prayer that are pretty powerful. God talks about petition. And we're supposed to bring our needs to God. We're supposed to bring our, our desires to God. And we're supposed to, to bring them to him, to ask for, for him to, to meet those. And he chooses how he answers them. But he wants us to come to him. Confession. Now, praise the Lord, once we accept Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven, but that ongoing talking to God, because we know that that clutters our life as we battle with certain sins, as things come up, that we say, Lord, forgive me for this. Help me to live the life that I need to live for you. Help me to rely on your power in everything that I do. Adoration, that we could just stop and go, wow, God is amazing. I mean, look at a sunset or a sunrise. Or those of you that like or not like snow, but think of the white beauty that God puts over the trees and all, and just reminds us, I always see that and go, wow, how God has washed away our sins. And you think of the different elements of prayer that are there, and we have a chance that God of the universe says, John Buckley, I want to hear from you. Often, interactive, intimate. I want to hear from you when you are broken and don't know where to turn. And I want to hear from you when you are so excited that you can't even say the words out loud of what's going on inside of your heart. Now, we had seen Hannah in chapter 1 as a woman who was crying out, looking as if she was drunk by the priest, as her heart was broken, saying, Lord, please, 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 please give me a child. And Lord, I want to give him back to you, but please give me that child. Give me that, the, the joy that the, the, the comes along with the, the birth of that child and, and, and that I can have an impact on in his life. And we know that at the end of chapter 1, that Eli the priest says, God's going to answer your prayer. Now we have to fast forward a few years. We go from that time of prayer and that area Shiloh, she was back home now. And now Samuel's not that little cuddly baby anymore. He's probably a couple years old, two to three, maybe even four. But now is the hard thing. God gave her the baby and now she's going to give him back. Now, I don't know how many of you parents have ever been in a spot where you've had to kind of leave your kids. For some of you, camp can be a Whew. Some of you, the first time you leave your kid at like even uh, you know uh, somebody's house, you pull away going, I don't know if I can handle this. They're going to be gone like two hours. Others of you are like, I wonder if they'll take them like four days. 
And then there's camp. If you go to camp and you drop them off and you see that kid, is that kid old enough to watch my kid for a week? Because I know how my kid can be for a week. And then I remember the first time we took uh, Chris, my oldest son, out to off the wall and dropped him off. And he was going to be there for, you know, months. And I thought, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. It's hard. I can't imagine taking a three or four-year-old, putting his hand in dad's hand, as 11, verse 11 says, saying goodbye. And now I'm only going to see him once or twice a year now for the rest of his life. Now, let that sink in, because that was what Hannah saw as she prayed chapter 10, 2 here. This is a well-known prayer. In fact, many believe that Mary's prayer was either influenced by Hannah's prayer, because it would have been in the scriptures, or that you see this, this similarity. I encourage you, chapter, Luke chapter 1 sometime, or excuse me, chapter 1, um, I didn't write it down here, but Luke, the prayer that Mary prays. It's interesting, you note know, in Samuel that you start with Mary's prayer here in chapter 2, and the last words of David, there's a lot of symbol, uh, similarity between the two of them. As you look at David's last words, I think it's in 2 Samuel, maybe chapter 23 there. Take some time sometime to just look at the prayers in the Bible. Look at what the hearts, uh, the verbalization of the hearts of the individuals in the Word and what they prayed about. I encourage you to consider them and ask yourself if there's elements from there that you can learn as you pray. So let's break down Mary's prayer. We're going to break it down here in a few different sections. Here we're going to start with verse 1 and 2. And we see here that we have a rejoicing in deliverance is the first part of Hannah's prayer. Rejoicing in deliverance. Hannah's watching her husband take her little boy away for good. And we get to see here from her heart that praise comes. Thanks to God for delivering her from her barrenness. And we, we see some interesting terminology. It says, my heart exalts to the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, and my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There's no rock like our God. Now, first of all, we need to make sure we're clear here. The word salvation there talks about deliverance. It's not talking about salvation from sin. It's how God had delivered her from being barren and allowed her to have Samuel. Now, salvation in the New Testament, and there are sections of the Old Testament that talk about the coming Messiah and salvation, but this specifically is talking about deliverance that was getting given. Some versions of the Bible, instead of saying, um, uh, the first part there, instead of saying my horn is exalted, it will say my strength is exalted. The reason that the word horn is used there, because horns were a symbolization of strength. Animals were able to use it either um, as they tried to clash against each other to fight for mates, as well as protection of the herds that they were a part of. They were this majestic strength. She was using that vivid word there. And she was saying, Lord, I am so grateful because you chose to deliver me from my barrenness and allow me to have a son. And I rejoice so much in the deliverance that you've given to me, God. And it makes us ask ourselves a question. How has God delivered you? Now, first of all, I will say, I am incredibly grateful that God has saved me and I am delivered from death, hell, and the grave. I rejoice in that daily. I do not deserve heaven. I do not deserve forgiveness of sins. I know the depravity I continue to fight with as a human being on this earth. But I am so grateful. But think of all the different ways that God delivers us in different, in different situations. Some are very well known. I wonder all the ways that God steps in that we never be, are never able to see. 
But here, to see that God takes care of us. And the many, many different ways that he watches over us. The things that are overwhelming that we take to him and we see God work. Now, I find a lot of times the stuff that's the hardest and most difficult is the stuff that usually takes the longest to see the chains broken of and to see that deliverance come. Hannah, for years, probably at least 10 years, if not longer, had been praying and asking God for a little boy. And there's some of you that will come before God and you pray and beg God, please deliver my child from the struggles they're facing. Please, Lord, deliver my family member from an illness. And God doesn't choose to deliver it from all of them, but we kind of get in this mentality that we like to focus on the stuff that he hasn't answered instead of the many things that he has answered in and the things he's taken care of in our lives. But then when we see God work, do we take time just to rejoice? If Hannah can watch her little boy walk away with her husband and still rejoice instead of saying, but Lord, why can't he just stay here now? No, she was just rejoicing in what God had done. The second thing I want to talk with you about that we see here is verse number three. We see a warning to the proud. Now, we obviously, as you look into this section here, you're going to see that part of this is in her seeing what Penina did in relationship to plaguing her. Now, remember what happened? Hannah wasn't able to have children. More than likely, as a result of that, Elkanah had married Penina. Penina had multiple children. And not on top of the fact that Hannah had to be reminded by the children she had of her barrenness, but Penina took it upon herself to constantly be a thorn in the flesh. A vicious thorn, you'll see the language that's used in chapter 1, in the flesh of Hannah. Constantly, look at my child, and 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 look what I have, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't. Constantly deriding her. Now, it's bad enough if you're struggling with something. If you're here today and you haven't been able to have children naturally, it's hard even when you just see other people excited about that. You rejoice with them, but it's difficult. Can you imagine if somebody came after you and constantly just rode you in a negative, hurtful, derogatory way for the pain that you have? Look at Job a little bit, don't you? Well, Job, if you just get right with God, you wouldn't be suffering all this stuff. That's why you lost all your kids. Can you imagine hearing that? Boy, I don't think I'd have been as calm as Job was. What? Yet, what do you see in Job? A broken man who just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. Hannah, a broken woman that just wanted to see God at work. Folks, do we really, really want to see God at work, or is it just about our agenda? But you see here, the hurt does come out. As she prays this prayer to God, she says in verse 3, Talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by his actions are weighed. By him, actions are weighed. Now, again, you know what I like? She didn't specifically go after Penina and go, oh, and attack her, but she said, you know what? God's the one that takes care of all of those things. God is the one that handles the difficulties. This is a warning to the proud. As she prays this prayer, knowing how she was affected by Penina, she also talks about the sovereignty of God in these verses and how God is the one that's in control. You oftentimes see that in 1 and 2 Samuel, how God humbles the proud. You see it in Penina as she gives the child to Samuel, that's the priest, 
and will become one of the, 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 uh, the last judge in the nation of Israel before the kings come. You see, and Eli's sons will find, as we go on in chapter 2 and chapter 3, how he humbles them. You see how he does it to the Philistine nation when they get the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to see how he does it to Saul, the first king. Over and over again in First and Second Samuel, you see a consistent theme there that God humbles the proud. And folks, we don't have to be the ones that do that. I think we sometimes think we have to be God's avenging angel. God's a big God. He can handle those things. Now, there's times he has us speak up, and he wants us to speak truth, and he wants us to teach truth. But again, go back to the heart of Hannah and Mary and David, a heart of they're praying a prayer that God might be honored and glorified as God deals with the situation, as God handles it. That sovereignty drips there that God's got it. Nothing's slipping past God. Boy, I've felt that way before, have you? But Lord, you missed this one. I know you get most of them, but God, you missed this one. Until I have to come back to the same thing over and over again. God's God, period. He's going to handle it. I love the way that God is over the affairs of all man. What man often thinks he controls, he really has no power over. That's what we see in these verses here. God astounds us, and he shows us his power as well as his grace on so many that other people would consider losers. Think of, see some of the breakdowns here in verse number um, 4. The bows of the mighty are broken. Bows of the mighty, think of arrows. And man, and God... And if you knew anything about archers, they made sure they got the good wood. They took their time because if your bow broke in battle, you could die. <laughs> you wanted to make sure it was good. And what does he say right after that? He goes to those that we would, again, oftentimes consider losers. But the feeble bind on strength. God's the one that gives strength to the feeble. And he goes to the next one. Those that are full have hired themselves out for bread. Why is the connection there? Because they have the food in them, the energy in them to be able to go out and work and be able to get more. But then what does he say? But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. God took care of those that weren't able to get food. And he goes, and you'll see that list of it all the way down through verse number seven. I'm uh, sorry, verse number eight. Back and forth, how God is in charge of all of the affairs of man. That also means that God wants to hear our concerns about all the affairs of mankind. As we pray to him and bring those things to him, knowing, though, that God is the one who's warning the proud, submit to me. Now, Christians, don't think that just the unsaved are proud. Man, we own the trophies for pride. We know how to etch those up there and say, look at me. I'm great. I'm powerful. Have you allowed pride to perhaps blind you? Beware of allowing pride to invade your heart. Do you ever look around this room and go, oh, I'm better than they are. I've got this down better than they do. Boy, if they only knew what I knew. Now, we don't verbalize a lot of those things because we know the comments that would be made. But how many times do we really think in our heart of hearts we're better than that person? That sometimes flushes itself out. Well, I wouldn't invite that person over because they're weird. By the way, we wouldn't be inviting over each other often, would we? And that's a way we exalt that. Well, I'm better than them because I'm not weird like they are, so I can't have them in my house. A simple and yet, I think, powerful reminder of how pride can seep itself in. You're only who 
and where you are because of God. I do not deserve the privilege of being the pastor of this church. I do not deserve the privilege of being married to the woman that God gave me as a wife. I do not deserve the privilege of being the parent to the children that God's given to me. I don't deserve the privilege of the friendship I have with many of you. I don't deserve the privilege of being a shepherd to all of you. I don't deserve any of that. I deserve death, hell, and the grave. I deserve to be wandering around out there, seeking pleasure and folly, living life for myself so that I could die and spend eternity in hell. That's what I deserve. See, you notice how I put that seeking? We, we a lot of times see the world and see that seeking pleasure, and what they want to do is like, well, they, man, if I, I wish I could be them. They're miserable because none of that stuff satisfies. God does. What man often thinks he has control over, he doesn't. The devil loves, by the way, to use pride and derision on human beings. In fact, I find this. We either oftentimes think that we are something or that we are nothing. Did you catch that? We oftentimes think we are something or that we're nothing. See, the devil likes to either say, man, you're better than everybody else. They don't deserve you. Or he likes to say, you're nobody. You're nothing. You're a piece of trash. And nobody wants you around. He loves to work those ends. And most of us that sit here today either look around thinking I'm better than somebody or I'm worse than everybody else. And as a result of that, we miss the fact that that's all a bunch of stuff the devil's trying to throw on top of us. What we need to understand and realize is because we, because of Christ, we are precious, we are valuable, we are loved, and if we have accepted his gift, we are redeemed. By Christ alone. And I've said this before, and I will say it again. The identity that matters most, in fact only, is that I sit here, if I know Christ as Savior, redeemed as his child. That's enough. We're all going to struggle with stuff in life. But don't believe the devil's lie that you are something you're not. And don't believe the devil's life that you're nothing because you are great in God's eyes. Warning to the pride, proud. The third thing is protection for the faithful. We see in verse 9 what Hannah continues on in her prayer. He'll guard the feet of his faithful ones. Now Hannah, by the way, at this time didn't know what Samuel was going to end up doing. Now, now think about for just a minute. The Bible says, if you read, I hope you guys are all reading 1 Samuel. It's, a, it's, been, it's amazing what, what's in there. But if you haven't, let me just remind you this, and then check it out yourself. Hannah wasn't exactly sending Samuel to the father of the year camp. Wait till you hear about Eli's sons if you haven't read about them. They weren't exactly the prime examples of godly men. In fact, they were pretty wicked. In fact, the Bible says that they were horrible Now, moms and dads, can you imagine sending your child to another household that you open the door and you can just tell by looking inside, this is a disaster. I'm not talking about cleanliness. I'm talking kids hanging from the chandeliers. I'm talking, no, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about complete rejection of God. You can handle dirtiness and you can handle craziness, but you can't handle 
godlessness. Now, Eli, I believe, was a godly man. I don't know where along the line he decided to let things go, or if Eli and Hophni, I'm sorry, Hophni and Phinehas had just chosen to reject it. But Samuel was going to be affected by those two because he lived in the temple, which more than likely their houses were connected to or very close by. He was going to be interacting with them on a regular basis, starting at three or four years of age. So now do you hear Hannah's prayer maybe a little different there? She wanted her son to be one of the faithful ones. She didn't know that her son would end up being the spiritual leader of the land. But she says, again, with that in mind, listen to the verse, he'll guard the feet of his faithful ones. You know what? God, by the way, always keeps a remnant too. Her prayer, Lord, continue to guard the faithful ones. Folks, the hardest thing about the Christian life oftentimes isn't the big battles. Because I don't know about you, but when big battles come, I know I need God. <laughs> when I know I don't have the capacity to deal with it, when I got this huge bill I can't pay, when I have a physical challenge I can't heal, the doctors are confused by, when I'm dealing with a relational thing that I can't fix, those are huge, and it's easy to go, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. The Christians that are going to make the biggest impact in life are the ones that get up every single day and put their armor on with the power of God and go out and fight today's battle today and faithfully be in the roles and responsibilities God's given you, in a family responsibility and role, in your school responsibility and role, in your neighborhood responsibility and role, in your church responsibility and role, in your community responsibility and role, in your job responsibility and role, you get up and you say, God, I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly woman. I want to do what you want me to do today. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. And I'm not sure I want to live yesterday again. But his mercies are new every day, so help me to get up. And Hannah's prayer for her son, and I'm sure she thought about the other remnant, Lord, the faithful ones, the ones that are there just every day, every Sunday, everything that they can do to be who God wants them to do. They just keep getting up and going at it. Even when they get knocked down, they get up and they dust off and they go at it again. And when they feel like they're fighting, they're losing the battle, they throw their shoulders and fight even harder because they know God's got my back. God's going to get me through this. God's got a plan. I don't know what my part always is in it, but I know that today I'm supposed to get up and do the things I know God's called me to do. I need to be gospel-driven. I need to be disciple-making. I need to be looking for opportunities that I can show Jesus Christ in everything I do. If you do that every day, Christian, you're going to be fine. Get up and ask God to help you to look and have a passion for the lost that you can share the gospel with. Get up and look for people that through a touch or through a long-term relationship, you can help them to become more like Christ in a discipleship way. Look for ways that you can drip Jesus on other people in your actions, in your attitude, in your words, that it just drips from you that that person loves God and is living for God and is trying to make a difference. And when you mess up, you don't give up, you confess sin and you get back at it and you go to it again. Faithful. Boy, the protection of the faithful 
is a huge one. By the way, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's pray for the protection of those that we know are up there faithfully serving the Lord. Pray for them. I met with a friend of mine this week on Friday. We were talking about just in ministry. He's in ministry as well. And we were just talking about, you know, some of the battles. And I said, the older I get, the thinner the ranks seem to be of guys, men and women that are my age and older that I've known for years that are still at it spiritually. They've either given up or they caved in or they've ran off. I said, man, it gets lonelier. I said, now, what do you do? And he just shared a few things. And he goes, one of the things God's really convicting me about is prayer. And he goes, I have this journal. He pulls it out of his backpack. We're at a diner and, or a coffee shop. And he pulls it out and he starts to show me stuff he's praying for. Because I said, oh, can I, would you mind? I know it might be personal, but can I, I'd love to see some of the things you're doing. And he's flipping through it. And I, I noticed he flips to Tuesday, flips open. Didn't do it on purpose. And he has John and Sandy Buckley and family. Think, wow. I said, wait a minute, is this your like weekly prayer list? He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I didn't mean to show you that. I said, well, I did ask to look. It's kind of my fault. But he goes, yeah, every Tuesday I pray for you and your family. I said, thank you. It's awesome when you know other people are lifting you up before the Lord. I love it when people tell me they're praying for him. I love to let other people know I'm praying for him because we need that together. We need the faithful ones. How have you seen God protect you? Man, there's times you know. I tell people all the time, man, I know God had this one. <laughs> Sometimes you're driving like, I don't know how I didn't get an accident. Man, when I was younger and I was working jobs and going to college and doing extension, I mean, there's four years of my life that when I drove anywhere more than 15 minutes, I'm sure that God must have been, I better take the steering wheel because I just took a nap a lot of times. I know I got to the next place, but I was not using wisdom, by the way, at all when I did this situation. There's been many times, not just physically, where God has protected us. There's been times that I have felt completely humanly overwhelmed, and yet I have a peace. It doesn't come from John Buckley. It comes from God. Folks, he's got you in his hands. Nobody can get you. The devil and his forces, listen in Ephesians chapter 6, none of them can get you because God's got you, you're his child. And then we want to wrap up here, and we see in verse number 10. Now, some scholars have looked at these last verses, and they've talked about the fact that this is maybe talking about prophecy ahead of time. I, I don't know that for sure, because some will say that when it talks about the king here, obviously he didn't have a king yet, but as Josh even mentioned last week, the nation of Israel knew at some point God was going to give them a king. He talked about that. Now, you're going to see when we unpack this section that the reason that God was upset wasn't that they, what, he wanted to give them a king. It was their reason to get a king. They didn't want a king because they said, God, we want you to put a human representative for yourself like the judges over our nation. We want a king because we want to be like everybody else. By the way, church, we are most at risk when we feel like we are missing out on something as Christians and we need what everybody else has. That will always get us into trouble. That was a sidebar. You don't get any extra pay. You don't have to pay me any extra for that one, okay? Thank you, Rodney. Some think that king or anointed talks about the coming Messiah. Now, maybe both or either of them affected her. I don't know for sure. But I know, let's read through the verse here. Verse 10. 
And you're going to see, by the way, in the last half of verse 9, after he talks about the faithful ones, the wicked will be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he'll thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and exalt the horn of the anointed. Again, I think we go back to the theme of the sovereignty of God, that God's going to take care to destroy enemies. And you see here the destruction of the enemies. Hannah goes, I know, she knows the story. She heard about how God already worked earlier in the history of Israel. And she's confident that that God is going to continue because God made promises to Israel. That he was going to bless them and, and multiply them and that they were going to be a force. She knew that. Don't be somebody that gets so caught up in what the social media says or even the news that you look only at that and feel as if, wow, everything's horrible. Now, we live in a dark time. When darkness is the most oppressive, light is the most obvious. When darkness is the most oppressive, light is the most obvious. You know, you're driving at night, you get a little bit of moonlight. You still have your headlights on, but you can see things. If you're out in the country a little bit, so you might see just outlines. Man, when you get a full moon and you're driving outside, you practically feel like you can drive with your lights out. You can see a lot. It's dark, but the illumination of the moon. I've come up in this room sometimes. One time I came up here, and I, the light switches were over there. This is when the doors were locked. And I'm stumbling around trying to do things. And I thought, man, I must have tripped on everything you could possibly trip on in that sound booth. Sorry, sound booth. That was a long time ago, so like two years ago. So whatever I messed up two years ago, I apologize for. But I'm going across there, banging into this, knocking this over. And I thought, it's pitch black in here. And about halfway across, I thought, John, you're a knucklehead. You have a phone that has a flashlight on it. So sure enough, I pull it out. As soon as I did that, wow. You talk about everything being bright. I could see everything. Easily navigated to get to the lights to turn them on in the auditorium. When dark seems to be the most encroaching on our lives, that's when the gospel is the most powerful. It's known. Folks, our world's getting dark. Lies are flying left and right. There's fighting. There's all kinds of destructive, horrible things. I know that. But when people hear about terrorism, and people hear about abuses that take place, and political corruption, and they don't feel like there's any hope, that is the most awesome, wonderful, great time to say, well, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done for me. Now, some people will laugh at you. Some people will actually be cruel to you. And some people will go, okay, tell me about this, Jesus. And then you let God do the rest of the work. Folks, it's a dark world. But we as Christians have no reason to be in the least bit discouraged. One of my favorite verses, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Folks, when things seem hopeless humanly is when God works greatest. He's going to take care of all this. He's going to destroy his enemies. And then as Hannah wraps up, we see the very last part of that verse, which I mentioned 
a few minutes ago. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, again, whether she was talking about the king to come or the Messiah to come, she knew that they would both one day arrive in a victorious fashion. She knew that if it was the anointed that she's talking about, she knew that God had promised to the Israelites that ultimate and complete victory would come with the Messiah. She knew that when God brought that king, he would bring victory along with it. And we saw that not so much in Saul's life, although he had military victories, but really saw it in the life of King David. She knew that was going to be taking place. It was a reminder to her as she prays for her son Samuel. And she says, no matter what happens, Lord, I ask that you would continue to give strength to your king and exalt the horn. Again, that horn, that sign of power of his anointed. That, Lord, you would be reminding me and be reminding our nation that you're the winner. You're the winner. And then we see verse 11. <clears throat> then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. You hear a mom's prayer, which, by the way, I encourage you again to study the prayers in the Scripture, but just to have a couple of takeaways that I want you to consider as we wrap up today. What's prayer to you? Now, when I was younger, prayer was, I know my dad's going to come home. Lord, please don't let him kill me because I know I'm in trouble. Because those were the horrible words of a child when my mom would say, you did something really bad, John. Wait till your dad gets home. Oh, man, just kill me, mom. Just do it right now. Whatever it is, I can handle, but not dad. Some of us, we only pray when we're at desperate times. Some of us, we pray because we want stuff. I encourage you to really study what prayers. When was the last time you took some time to adore God? Not just petition him. When's the time you took to confess to God your sins before a holy God? What's prayer to you? Is it a flip and throw out? Is it in the closet, verses on the wall? Is it somewhere in between? Folks, prayer should be a vital part of our Christian lives. Remember last week how I said I believe our modern-day polygamy or maybe two weeks ago, modern-day polygamy is busyness. I believe that prayer has been one of the most affected things by our busy lives. We live busy lives, so we say, well, I don't have time to pray. Then you figure out a way to pray. <laughs> this is a command by God, folks. But what does prayer look like for you? How do you pray? Do you pray just the petition part? Lord, I need, Lord, I need, Lord, I need, Lord, I need, Lord, I need. Lord, fix, Lord, fix, Lord, fix, Lord, fix, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord, why? Or do you include those other elements in your prayer life? What, how do you pray? And the last, when do you pray? Do you have some etched out times? Now, I have learned in my life that when I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, you know when I pray for them? Then. I would love to say to all of you that I have this amazing memory. I don't. We are well past the time where Pastor John knows everybody's name in the church now. That might have ended about the 13th person. But I'm past that. I know my memory. I have notes. I used to tease my grandpa. He'd take these little half sheets of, or quarter sheets of paper and write notes on them and stick them in his pocket. I thought, man, he can't remember anything. You look at my desk downstairs, you're going to see all these little quarter sheets of paper and don't even talk about the notes on my phone. I know I forget. So make the quick prayer. This week I texted some of you and you shot back prayers. I prayed then. And I'm going to pray as your name comes to mind. But we also need that alone from God.
just talking to them. If you've never done that, set your timer for five minutes. It's hard at first, but just include some of these elements. Get some ideas from other people. Folks, we need to be praying. You see in Hannah's heart a woman that already had talked to God multiple times. Let's talk to our God who loves us so much and desires and commands us to pray. Hannah's prayer. A great lesson and reminder to us as we now are going to turn our eyes off of Samuel's past and start to see about Samuel's present and the life he lives as we get into the next section here of chapter 2 next Sunday. Arcs of me, in two weeks we'll be doing that. Just a quick wrap-up before I pray. I want to ask you for this, as was already mentioned, but Easter weekend is a time... I've already had conversations with two people that I know that are not believers, and they, they asked me, hey, well, what time are your church services? Now, I already know this. If everybody that asked about when our church started came here, we would need 13 services on a Sunday morning. But I will say this is the natural time that people, they might, folks, don't make it about giving them to church on Sunday. Make it about getting an opportunity to share the gospel with them. If they come, great. I'm not diminishing that. It's not about, the, it's a natural opportunity, folks. So why don't you start today by making your list of people that you know need Christ, that you can start praying for ways they can be impacted with the gospel, okay? Practical way to immediately put the message into play. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Hannah. I have no idea what it would be like to live the life she lived, God. Lord, but I am so grateful that you chose to allow her prayer to be in the scriptures. Lord, it's been a reminder to us of your sovereignty. It's a reminder, Lord, of how godly people pray and the things they focus on and how much, Lord, they learn to trust and turn things over to you even as they bring them before you, God. We're reminded of, Lord, that you're going to take care of things, that you're in control. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to be a better body of prayers. Lord, we realize the importance of it, not just to expect everybody else to pray, not the one always giving the requests, but the one also taking them, God. Help us to implement many of the things you've laid out clearly in scriptures into our prayer life, that we can be a church that truly genuinely, authentically, excitedly praise. We ask in your precious name, amen.